Um, last week, we studied the first parak of Hallel, uh, chapter 113 in Tehillim, and I gave a quick introduction to Tehillim. I'm going to add to that introduction a little bit um, today, and we're going to look at the second parak of Hallel, uh, which is very likely the key parak in the whole section of 113 through 118 that we refer to as Hallel, as we call it Hallel Mitzrayim. This is the only parak that refers overtly to Yitziat Mitzrayim, uh, if it does, and that's something we're going to have to discuss. Uh, but it's a well-known parak. Um, and um, again, a question that that I touched on last week that we always have to think about when studying Tehillim is who wrote the parak? Now, who wrote the parak doesn't necessarily mean you can get a guy with a social security number, but it, it but you could question like at what time period or from what vantage point was the parak written? We have numerous prakim that, for instance, reflect on something around the destruction of the Nikdash, the destruction of Shalayim, like Ayin Tet, and of course Kuflam and Zion famously. Um, some that seem to be reflecting on a prosperous, robust city of Shalayim, like Kuf Chafbet and others. Um, and uh, the question is, is this something that's written at the time of Yitziat Mitzrayim? Is it written as a historic reflection? It's very unclear. But uh, again, we face uh, the problem we face often with these sort of texts is the more well-known a text is, the harder it is to teach. Because we know it so well, we don't realize how well we don't know it. And this one, when you see it immediately, I don't know about you, but all tunes spring to mind and memories of a Seder spring to mind and memories of dancing in, with the high school boys during Hallel. You know, it's like it's got all sorts of great associations. Uh, that it's hard to look at it as a text to analyze, but so we got to do. So we'll spring right into it. But Seit Yisrael mi Mitzrayim, Beit Yaakov me Amloez. I'm first going to do what we need to do with any parak of Tehillim, and just quickly, schematically, any time that, that we study uh, Tehillim, we have to ask three questions, and in cases like this, a fourth question. Um, the three questions you got to ask are the three goals you have are first of all, what do the words mean? Right? Second of all, what's the structure of the psalm? And because it's poetry, it's got a structure to it, a poetic structure. Three is what is the message of the psalm? What's the point? What's it trying to get across? Is it thanksgiving? Is it requesting? Is it amazement? Is it uh dismay? What might it be? Worry, anxiety. And fourth, in the case of many psalms, you have to ask, what is its place in the liturgy? So if you're studying, for instance, uh, I don't know, Paragdalad of Tehillim, you don't have to ask that question. It's not used in our liturgy. If you ask Paragvav, you might also ask, why is it used by Ashkenazim for Tachnum, as an example? So here, besides the three main questions you have to ask anytime, you also have to wonder, what is this doing? And the, the, the reality is it should be pretty, pretty obvious what this is doing as a part of Hallel. But there may be something underneath the text that gives it even more meaning and relevance to Hallel than that. Okay, so we'll take a look at the text. Our first job is to go through it and translate the words. And of course, we all know the words because we all have it say Yisrael. Let's just see. Uh, and along with reading the words, we're going to also notice some nuances about the about the words that are kind of odd. But say Yisrael mimitzrayim beit Yaakov meam loes. Right? So we'll translate that. When Yisrael left Mitzrayim, Beit Yaakov, the house of Yaakov, from an Amloez. Right now, we're going to translate that as a nation that speaks a foreign tongue, Amloez. Perhaps that's what it means. 
um, you notice that this opening of a parak is very odd. First of all, which is a clause that means that when this happened, so we're not given any introduction to what it is that's happening or why it's happening or who's involved. It's just, it happened. It's an odd opening. What's a much odder opening about it is who is missing from this first pasuk? Think Hashem. about the right. Think about the introduction to Aserat Adibrot. Anochi Adonai Loecha Eloechem Eloecha Asher Tzitichem Eretz Yisraelim Meitav Adim. Yitzchak Yitzchak is the biggest point of Kodesh Baruch Hu text, and here it's Bitzait Yisrael Mitzrayim Meitayakov Meamulez Keilu Bechufshayatzu. They got their visa and they left. Right. There's no, first of all no miracle. Second of all no Yad Hashem. But Israel left Mitzrayim. So we have to keep that in mind as we move ahead in the in the parak. Second thing to look at here is just, it's not a question, but it's something about the nature of biblical poetry. We talked about it a little bit last week. Here it comes really full force. This parak is a great parak to teach Shira Mikra'it. Uh, and you look at, I, I broke up the lines that way so you could see um, this parak has perfect, perfect um, parallelism, tikbolet, and a great way to teach it. All right, what is the parallel to Yisrael in the second half of the Pasuk? Yaakov. Okay, it's actually Beit Yaakov. Right. Parallel to Yisrael is Beit Yaakov. What's the parallel to Mitzrayim in the second half? Amloez. Amloez. So what's missing in the second half of the Pasuk that's not paralleled? It's eight. It's eight. And this is something that we refer to as gapping, in this case, forward gapping in in song, in poetry, which is when you have a word in one half that's not represented in the other, it's carried over. We have countless examples of this, like tov lahodot ladonai The word tov is left out of the of the um, of the second half because we understand it's v'tov And again, you look through Tilim, you'll see it happens quite frequently. Uh, and so it's Bitsait Yisrael Mitzrayim, Bitsait Beit Yaakov Miyam Loez. Now, why doesn't it say that? Because what's the most important consideration in Shira Mikra'it? It's not rhyming, which in English is usually the chief consideration. What's the consideration? It is meter. And in normal poetry, not in Kina poetry, but in normal poetry, we want to maintain the meter. So, Betzeit Yisrael mi Mitzrayim, Beit Yaakov me'am lo'ez. And therefore, to add Betzeit in there would disrupt the meter. And uh, and Yaakov is never presented alone, not usually presented alone as Am Yisrael, but rather Beit Yaakov. And we'll see there's another reason why the author, why the author uses Beit Yaakov here. All right, so we, we understand the, the structure of this pasuk, and we understand the relationship of the first and second half to each other. Again, we have the bigger problems, which is where's HaKadosh Baruch Hu in the picture? And also, why is Mitzrayim being described as an Amloez? That's an un unusual and really unprecedented uh, reference to Mitzrayim. I continue. Hayta Yehuda likodsho Yisrael mamshalotav. So at that point, Yehuda became his holy one. And Yisrael, again, Yehuda and Yisrael as parallels, sort of. Mamshalotav means his rulers. Right, so 
what this seems to be describing is that as Bnei, when Ben Israel came out of Mitzrayim, they suddenly attained the special status. Now, by the way, Likod Show is his holy ones. Whose holy ones? His rulers. Who, who's, who's rulers? Clearly, HaKadosh Baruch Hu. But notice, HaKadosh Baruch Hu's hiding behind this psalm. There's a reference to him, but he's not mentioned at all. Right? So, it's odd. It gets odder as we move on. How are you defining that phrase, though? How you tell you the Kodesh? Yehuda became his holy one, his Kodesh. Became? Became. Okay. Right. And then Yisrael became, again, Haita is gapped, became his rulers. Uh-huh. Again, whose rulers, whose holy one? HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Right. Why is he mentioned? Right. And then, Hayam Ra'avayanos. So there's several things that have happened when Am Yisrael left Mitzrayim. One is, they, their status changed. The other is Hayam Ra'avayanos, which means the sea saw, we have to have fun with that, and fled. <laughs> now, which sea are we talking about? The Yamsuf. We assuming we're assume we're talking about Yamsuf, but is that an accurate portrayal of what happened based on the text? Hayamra Avayanos? It makes it sound like the sea on its own fled. Whereas the whole point of Kriyat Yamsuf is that Akonish Baruchu Bichvodovatsmo made it go. Right. And now Hayarden Yisovliachor. How did the Yarden get into the story? That's 40 years later. And by the way, what did the Yarden do? Yisovliachor means it turned backwards. It reversed direction. That's, by the way, not accurate to what it says in Sefer Yoshua Gimel, where the Yam just stopped, the Yarden stopped up at Adam and started building a, a wall. It didn't move backwards, it just stopped and built a kind of a, a dam of water. But again, the critical thing is that what's happening here, Hayam Ra'avayanos, the sea, even if you want to say this is an accurate description of what happened in Yamsuf, it's giving Yamsuf all the credit and the Yardain all the credit, which is that's not what happened. And we continue on. So mountains danced like um like uh, rams and and hills danced like little sheep what's that talking about is a little unclear and we'll get to it but the first of these descriptions which is hayam and hayardain is something that we have in our text but different different cause and different manifestation but we know about the sea and the ardain splitting we don't know anything about harim rakduche we don't know where that is what's that reference referencing and things continue to get strange. Ma lechahayam kitanus, which means we've gone from an eyewitness describing some strange natural phenomena to an involved, curious, perhaps concerned onlooker who turns to them and asks, Ma lechahayam kitanus? Hayar deintisov lechor. And by the way, why you? Why the sea? Why are you fleeing? And why the Yordain? Why are you turning back? And again, we're gapped. It's Malachayam Ketanus Umalachayardain Kiti Sovlachor. There's a lot of words that are missing that are assumed to be there. And he continues, Heharim Tikduchaylim. And again, this is part of the question. So Malachem Heharim Kitikduchaylim. Why mountains? Why are you dancing like rams? And give an Why are you hillocks dancing like little sheep? And why the repetition? 
What? Why the repetition again? There's not a repetition. If you look at this, these lines, and the next, that pasuk in the next, it's describing something happening. And it's continuing from uh, the pasuk before. So if you have pasuk, which is pasuk gimel, describe phenomena that have to do with seas and mountains. And the next two psukim, is a conversation between the Mishorer, the author, and these things that are acting strange, saying, why are you acting strange? Uh -huh. And then they give an answer. So the seas speak, the Jordan speaks, the mountains and the hills all speak. And what's their answer? Of course, this is poetry. So in poetry, animals can talk, and the sun yeah. can talk, and the heavens can talk, and we could talk to the heavens, and we could stand in Yerushalayim and talk to the king of Ashur, and he's listening. This is poetry. So their answer is, from the presence of the master, who chuliaretz would seem to mean the one who shakes the earth, mecholel. We're going to see something else as so we can move along. Milifne Eloa Yaakov. Right? From the, the God of, of Yaakov, but the presence of the God of Yaakov. In other words, we ran away because of this presence. And Hahofchi, and this takes us back to last week. If you remember, I mentioned that in poetry, you often have an enclitic yod, which is a yod at the end of a word, which is not really part of the word, but it is poetic. Like, which means he's the one who changes a rock into a lagoon. The Yodvav is also in Clitic, it's Mayan. He changes a flint stone into a spring. And that's the whole parak. So we know the words. The structure actually is fairly straightforward. The message is really confusing. Very hard to figure out. Again, we won't have much of a problem figuring out what it's doing in Hallel, but we got to figure out the message. So I think it's pretty easy to see the structure of the psalm. And it's very, very um, schematically easy to see, is you have eight psukim in which each two psukim form a stanza. And the first stanza, we'll take a look at it back here on the first page. The first stanza is describing what happened, meaning describing the historic event. Am Yisrael left Mitzrayim, and they became close to God. They became adopted by God, as it were. And then we have two psukim that describe crazy natural phenomena. The sea, and Yordain, and the mountains and the hills. And then in the third stanza, we have a conversation between the onlooker and the sea and the Yordain and the mountains and the hills. And then the fourth is the answer. Okay, the, stru the, 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 the structure is easy to see. Well, what the heck is going on? So there's an interesting story behind Parshanut on this Midrash, which really has benefited many of us in, in, in different ways, directly and indirectly. Um, you've all heard of Aliyah Tanor. You're wondering how Aliyah Tanor gets into this year, but you've all heard of Aliyah Tanor, I assume, and Yad old, which was something that was started in the 30s in Israel, which was really an attempt to get Jews to leave Europe because of a sense by the Jews in Eretz Israel of what was coming in Europe. And the Jews in Europe, for the most part, didn't want to leave, specifically the Jews in Germany. 
So the Aliyata Nora was a um, was an attempt to at least save the remnant, and the and the guys was we're going to have a bunch of young people come to Eretz Yisrael and to build the land and to be educated in the land. And the idea was, of course, then they'll be here and they'll be saved. And tens of thousands of young people were saved from the Shoah as a result. And very quickly, overnight, in the early 30s, there were all sorts of little youth villages called Kriyat Noar, Kriyata Noar, that were built for the purpose of, uh, of absorbing them and setting up schools. And at the same time, there was a need to get teachers. And um, so the Hebrew University was one of the sources of finding teachers. And they had a, a young instructor in literature by the name of Aryeh or Ludwig Strauss, who was um, a young German Jew who was part of a nascent tshuva movement in Germany, and he'd made Aliyah. And he was teaching, and he'd been trained in Germany, and he was a professor of literature, and that's what he was doing, teaching secular literature. And he was drafted, I believe it's actually Nechama Zal who drafted him, uh, to come and teach teachers uh, for the Aliyah Tanor. But they needed someone who could teach Tanakh. And he said, what do I know about Tanakh? It's just, it doesn't matter, you know literature, Tanakh's literature, so teach Tanakh. And he did. And he, well, the first thing that he produced in this area was a small booklet called Al Shlosha Pirkei Tehillim. He analyzed Tehillim using tools of literature. And that actually started the ball rolling for a whole approach to poetry in Tanakh, which was grounded in kind of general approach to, liter to literary uh, study, the study of literature, uh, and of course enhanced because it's Kodesh. And of the three prakim that he wrote of, one of them was this, and he points out several things about the parak that we've already noticed that are kind of odd. And he says, if you think about the parak, the parak seems to be based on the beginning of parak yotet in Shmot. And here it is. You notice that we have B'tseit Yisrael Mimitzrayim, which of course evokes for us B'chodesh HaShlishi, L'tseit B'nei Yisrael Mimitzrayim, which is Mamad Har Sinai. And there we have, remember, B'tseit Yisrael Mimitzrayim, Beit Yaakov Miam Loez, and that's Dafka, the place where we're called Beit Yaakov, Kotamar Beit Yaakov. Sarah Schneider got her name from this. Beit, Beit Yaakov comes from here, Beit Yaakov. And now, um, Me'am Loez. What's Me'am Loez? So in that same description, God says, I lifted you on wings of eagles. Okay. And now, when we get to Kanfei Sharim, please take a look at this related pasuk in the Tochacha. This is in the curse. God is going to bring a nation from a distance, from the end of the world, just like an eagle flies. Perhaps here it's a vulture. And how's he marked? A nation whose language you won't understand. And so you put all that together, and Mitzrayim becomes an Amloez. That the mark, the marked feature of our relationship with Egypt is that we were we didn't understand the language, and we didn't and we didn't know them. Now, Haitai Yehuda lekodesho, Yisrael mam shalotav. Now, lekodesho and mam shalotav are not the same thing. One of them is a measure of sanctity, and the other is a measure of political rule. What was stated at that point? Vatem tiyuli mam lechet kohanim v'goy kadosh. 
Look at that. You're going to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So you have both Mamshalotav and Kodsho right here. And so Strauss points out that the wording of our parak seems to be building on the story of the arrival at Harsinai. Right? Now, um, it still begs the question, what's going on in this parak? Meaning, where's God in this parak? So he he has a, a beautiful take on it, in which he makes the following claim. And I'll show you because I, I kind of mapped out his approach here. He says, we start... But say Yisrael Mitzrayim, and you notice that Akkadosh Baruch Hu is not mentioned at all, not even in, as a reference. That Am Yisrael leaves Mitzrayim, and then in the second pasuk, Akkadosh Baruch Hu is hinted to. But that then moves to the following thing: What happens when God's presence is felt? Suddenly, the sea and the Yardain flee, and the mountains start jumping around. Now, just parenthetically about mountains jumping around like uh, like animals. Evidently, and I've never seen this, but when animals are outside in a storm, they dance like break dancers. They just dance frantically. They kind of, kind of uh, lost their free will and their bodies sort of spasmodically move. And the description here is that the hills and the mountains moved like that. Now, what scene in Torah does that remind you of? I'm on Har Sinai. I'm on Har Sinai, exactly. And that's, of course, where this whole thing starts. Which means Strauss's take is that this is a poetic description of Mamad Har Sinai. Am Yisrael gets out, they get there, they become, and Akkadosh Baruch Hu is like right now kind of hiding. And what happens as a result? The sea, river, everything's fleeing. Now, of course, we have the problem here is that the Arden, why is the Arden part of this? And then we have this conversation back. But notice what happens, and this is, he says, is, is so brilliant, is the literary strategy of this is to become more and more compact, meaning fewer words saying more things. So notice, and I put them in small print, Malachai Yam Kitanus, and then Hayarden Tisov Leachor is really Malachai Yarden Kitisov Leachor. You have three words in the Pasuk that represent six words. And now Malachem Harim Kitigadu Chaylim, again, three words that represent six words. And here it gets even more fun. Malachem Agvaot Kitigadu Kivnaitzon, you got three words that represent seven words. In other words, the text is compact, meaning it's holding way more in it than is readily apparent. Okay, and that brings us to God now coming out of the shell. What's the answer of the mountains and everything? Why are they freaking out? Because Adon And now Chuliaretz may not mean the one who shakes the earth, but rather the one who gives birth to the earth. As in Mcholel Ayalot, right? To give birth. Here he is, the God of Yaakov. And what is God's big claim to fame here in this whole story? He turns the rock into a lagoon. By the way, where did that happen? That happened at Harsinai. What? Go ahead. No, that happened at Harsinai when Moshe took the stick. Remember, just before the uh, the Amalek story. 
right? And, and, and he goes up to the mountain and he and then the um and and the water comes out, he hits the rock. A small stone becomes a spring. So this is now talking about HaKadosh Baruch Hu changing nature. The question is, is this the story of Moshe? Or is this something else going on? Because the interesting thing is that now HaKadosh Baruch Hu is being explicitly presented, and not only that, even hinted to as Hatsur, but the Tzur, of course, is primarily the rock, is, is being brought out openly. And now it takes us back to the beginning of the parak. The end takes us back because who took Bnei Israel out of Mitzrayim? You only discovered at the end of the parak, and suddenly you look back and say, "Aha!" But Saint Yisrael Mitzrayim is Botzi Hashem Bnei Yisrael Mitzrayim. Botzi Hashem Bnei Yaakov Me'am Loeves. Hakodesh Baruch Hu Lakachet Yehuda LeKodesh Ve'Asami Yisrael Mam Shalotav. Hakodesh Baruch Hu's active, but Hakodesh Baruch Hu's because what's happening is this parak is using compaction. And putting many great things into small, again, by a lot of words into a few words to represent HaKadosh Baruch Hu's presence there as manifest and making all this happen, but compact. One way of looking at this parak. Um, Mayor Weiss, Allah was a uh, professor of Tanakh at Barilan for, I think it's actually at Hebrew U, for a long time, uh, from Yid, a Hungarian Jew, Wrote some very important books on studying Tanakh, and um, and he wrote also on this. And he mentioned Strauss's approach, but he had something else to add to it. He didn't really detract, but he had something else to add to it. So if you take a look at it, we mentioned already that there are several problems in this parak because they don't seem to be talking about events that we read about in the context of Yitzhak Mitzrayim. The mountains down sing sounds like a really poetic way to talk about Har Sinai, but the narrative of Har Sinai never actually mentions that. It mentions smoke and uh, fire and lightning, but the mountains don't move at all. And the Yardane, of course, is not a part of that story at all. And beyond that, something we asked at the very beginning is the sea doesn't flee and the Yardane doesn't turn back. God makes the sea split, and God makes the ordained stop, which led which led Vice to suggest that this parak is actually not talking about Mama about Yitzhak Mitzrayim per se, but about something much grander. And I get grander than Yitzhak Mitzrayim, but what I mean by that is, but rather it's describing the 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 manifestation of god's presence in the world or god becoming manifest in the world and the way that creation responds to it i'll show you a key pasuk elsewhere in tilim that will help us right here in tilim ayin zayin ga'alta bizroa amecha you redeemed your nation with your strong arm bnei yaakov yosef sela again beit yaakov elohim the water saw you god ra'uchamayim yachilu the waters saw you and they shook off your gazutomot, and the chasm started shaking. Meaning, when God is present in the world, and this is something you see at the beginning of Shirat Devorah, and you see it uh, at the beginning of Zotah Bracha, whenever God's presence is felt in the world, the world just crumbles. Everything shakes. And and so Vice suggests that this parak uses Yitzhak Mitzrayim as a model, but it's really more about what happens when God's presence is manifest. And now we'll read it through a last time and get an appreciation 
for one of the many ways we could see this parrot. When Am Yisrael came out and became wedded to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, became connected to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, became the representatives of HaKadosh Baruch Hu in the world, what was the reaction of the world, of the physical earth, to this, to this revelation of God? The answer is the world can't take it without freaking out. What happens when God appears? The sea turns backwards. By the way, the sea turns backwards means the sea goes against its nature. Because the sea flows in one direction, it goes against its nature. And more to the point, the Ardain flows uphill. By the way, does that remind you of a famous story in Chazal? Rebel Yezer, Anton Rosh The sea flows uphill, the river flows uphill. Why the mountains? Because think about it. What are mountains? Mountains are the most stable thing we have. Yeshayahu says, Even when the mountains fall, my love will never fall. Why do we pick the mountains? Because the mountains never fall. They never crumble. The most stable thing. And what happens when God comes? They start dancing like crazy animals. And so we turn to the sea and say, why are you freaking out? Why are you turning backwards? Mountains, why are you dancing? Why are you going so against your nature? And the answer is because when God's presence is felt in the world, all of nature becomes subjugated to that, but all of nature has an ecstatic reaction where even the non-sentient, the rocks of a mountain, and even when, when the animals sense this, they are ecstatic and they lose control. And so what we're, what we're now stating is that B'tzayt Yisrael mi Mitzrayim, Am Yisrael coming out of Mitzrayim should not be understood merely as a geographic move, as a political move, or even just as a religious re-identification, as Semi became Am Hashem. This was a revelation of God on earth, and all of earth just lost its ability to control itself, lost its sense of place and of, and of parameter, and ecstatically enthused at the presence of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Now, we take a look at that within the context of Hallel. Remember, the first parak of Hallel was everybody should give praise to God at all times and all places. God is way above, God is transcendent, and God yet, is, yet God is imminent. Remember, we ended with God is imminent. Hallelujah. And then we get to the core parak of the whole Hallel which is why we possibly like Ben Hillel, and we include it in Magid, which is we describe that this event that we're re-experiencing a week from tonight, imagine that, that we're re-experiencing and, and that we're reliving and that we're yearning to be part of is an experience in which all of creation loses its boundaries and loses its sense of place because it, it's HaKadosh Baruch Hu becoming manifest in this world. And we, us little Am Yisrael, we are the focal point of that entire thing. It all starts and that gives us a sense of two opposite feelings which go hand in hand, which Halal is 
designed to, to, to internalize for us. One is the majesty of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Another is the very limited uh, finitude of Am Yisrael, of us. We're individuals. Not of Am Yisrael, but us as individuals. We're just regular humans. We're not capable of more than that. And yet we are the ones who were selected by HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And when he acted to bring us out, then that great manifestation of HaKadosh Baruch Hu in the world shook all of creation up. And that certainly should be an inspiring point to then say, Birchat HaGu'ulah, as we thank God, al gulatenu, the al padut nafshenu.